Good morning, church. Good morning. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. As you're turning there, Psalm 121 is actually a, a psalm that is from a group of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And these were songs that uh, it's said were, tradition says, that were sung by uh, God's people as they were traveling to Jerusalem in order for one of the, to worship at one of the three annual festivals, which of course would have been the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And so this is a psalm that uh, is meant to be an encouragement to pilgrims on that travel. And as we'll see today, this is an encouragement to pilgrims in this room who are also on that travel, not to the earthly Jerusalem, but to the heavenly Jerusalem, where we will dwell with God forever and ever. Psalm 121, title, My Help Comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up, lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your, keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word to your people. A word that is not a word of a mere human, but a word that is powerful. A word that is meant to encourage. A word that is meant to to help us as we encounter all the difficulties in this life. And so today, Lord, I pray that as your word is preached, that your church would be encouraged, that, Lord, you would, you would draw the lost to yourself and that Christ would be exalted and we would see, indeed, that our help comes from the Lord. We trust you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... There are certain days in each of our lives where it is easier to feel the presence of God and easier to feel secure than others, isn't it? One of those days for me was May 1st of 2016. That was the day that Renee and I welcomed uh, Evangel, our first child, into the world. Um, it was a day that, that I, I will never forget how I felt how I felt when that labor and delivery doctor laid his slimy little body on top of Renee. The best way I can describe it is, is that it was a, a mixture of this intense love for him and this overwhelming joy and gratitude to the Lord for his grace. If you're a parent, I know that you can probably relate to that. In that moment, it just felt like everything in the world was right. I felt... As best as I could tell, I could sense the presence of God, and I, I could sense this, just this overwhelming security. But not every day is like that, is it? 
There are days where it feels like the world is spinning out of control. Days where it feels like that, that things that we, we hold dear are being threatened or even snatched away from us. Days that are so dark that it is really hard to feel the presence of God and it's really hard to feel secure. One of those days for me was July 4th of that same year, 2016. Renee and, and I had just laid our two-month-year-old Evangel down for a nap. And we heard a strange noise coming from his crib. And so we, we rushed over to see what the problem was. And as we looked down, we saw one of the most disturbing sights that a parent could ever see. We saw our little two-month-old gasping for his next breath. The color of his skin was, was closer to the shade of a blueberry than it was Caucasian flesh. And so we frantically scooped him up and, and tried to revive him. The color started to come back, and, and we got in the car, and we rushed him across the street to the emergency room. As the ER doctor examined him, he stopped breathing again. And so they had to make the snap decision to, to intubate him, which means that they installed a breathing tube, hooked him up into a machine that, that, was, that had to breathe for him. And so for the next several days, we, we spent camped out in the pediatric intensive care unit of the uh, Cosair Children's Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, anxious and uncertain as to what would become of our little boy's life. And frankly, not always feeling secure and not always feeling the presence of God. Why is it that when we encounter unexpected trials and difficulties in this life that, that this battle starts to wage in our hearts, vying for our trust? This battle between our feelings that say, trust me, trust me, trust me, and the battle of our minds and our faith that say, no, 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 trust God, trust His Word, trust what He has promised and what He has said is true in spite of your feelings. Now, maybe you've never found your two-month-old baby gasping for his next breath, but you've probably encountered days where, where it is hard to feel the presence of God and it is hard to feel secure, and, and you're, this battle is waging in your heart. It's a day like this where your boss calls you into his office and he tells you that you don't have a job anymore and you have no idea how you're going to pay your bills next month. It's the day that someone you love deeply is snatched away from you and, and takes their last breath on this earth. It's the day that, that the PET scan in the doctor's office lights up, revealing that you have cancer all over your body. You know those days that tempt you to believe that God is not present and that your life is not secure. But today, our God wants to remind His people in Psalm 121 that real security is not found in your feelings. So don't look there. Real security is found in the God who keeps His people. Give you a little bit of context uh, today to Psalm 121. As we, as we spoke about earlier before I read, it's, this is a psalm that was sung by these traveling uh, pilgrims, God's people traveling to the earthly Jerusalem and the earthly Zion in order to, to worship Him for one of the three annual festivals, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. These, of course, were reminders to God's people of His deliverance of them, of His faithfulness towards them, of His tender care for His people. And so Psalm 121 obviously is a, is a psalm about God keeping His people 
as they journey to this earthly Jerusalem to worship Him. But what I think is particularly helpful for us this morning is to realize that this psalm is actually more comprehensive than that. See, this speaks of an even greater journey. This is the greater journey of God's people to the heavenly Jerusalem, where we will dwell with our God forever and ever. Verse 8, of course, will clue us into that. It's going to talk about how God keeps His people both in this time, forth, as well as forever more. So it's not just in this earthly life, but also He will keep us, His people, forever. And so it's highly applicable. If you are in this room or you're listening to the, the live stream, it's highly applicable to you. If you've trusted in Christ and, and joined God's uh, global band of pilgrims who are traveling and journeying to this new Jerusalem. So let's jump into verse 1 today. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And so understand this, that, that Jerusalem and Zion are situated up on high hills, right? Zion being the place where the temple is located, where the very special presence of God dwells in the midst of His people in the earthly, in the earthly Jerusalem. Now, if you are in this room and you live in eastern North Carolina and you have traveled uh, on I-40 West, you know that there is one particular spot on I-40 West where you get your first glimpse of the majestic Blue Ridge Mountains. I think it's around Hickory, North Carolina. And it is, it is a gorgeous sight. And if you are going to the mountains to vacation, that is a very exciting time because you can, in a sense, see your destination even though you're not there yet. Even though there are windy and dangerous roads ahead. See, likewise... We can imagine the excitement and the anticipation that must have come across these, these travelers' hearts as they catch, caught their first glimpse of the, the earthly Jerusalem and Zion, seeing their destination, even though they weren't there yet, even though dangerous roads were ahead. How do we know that there was dangerous roads ahead? Well, by the very question that they ask. It says, from where does my help come? From where does my help come? This, this question indicates that they recognized that they had a need for help. That there were things that they were going to encounter were, were, that were beyond their human and natural abilities. And so they, we, we can think about some of those things, just a little bit of speculation. We can uh, have some educated speculation about some of the things that threatened their lives. Uh, it was known as an area that had wild beasts. So you think about if you're traveling... And you're going to have to stay overnight in places, by the way, when you're traveling long distances like that in that day. Wild beasts coming to, 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 to do you harm or to snatch your children away from you in the middle of the night. But there's also another kind of prey that was out there during that time, and that was the prey known as bandits. They would, they would hone in on you, and they would, they would seek to steal, kill, pillage, rape, kidnap. And so there's real dangers involved for, 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 this, for, for people in this travel. Even though we don't know exactly what they may have encountered, what we do know is this, that the journey to the heavenly Jerusalem is also dangerous, isn't it? There's a lot of dangers, a lot of things that threaten the people of God. Just think about right now in this moment in history, the things that threaten everyone in this room just about. Obviously, the coronavirus. For some of us, that, that's a threat to our physical health. 
For others of us, it's a threat to our spiritual health. As we, as God's people, have not been able to meet in the way that we are no normally meet in fellowship. For others, it's, it's this threat of financial health. How about this? How about riots? Violence? Racism? Right? Thing, uh, calls to defund police. These things are threats. They are threats to security. Threats to civil order. How about this? How about political ideologies? Threats to the freedoms of Americans. And specifically, the thing that we in this room should worry about most are threats to our religious freedoms. See, these are things that are, that are threats that frankly are beyond our ability to handle on our own. And when we focus on these things too long without having our God in, in proper perspective, we don't feel very secure, do we? Thankfully, the psalmist is going to call, uh, spend the rest of this psalm redirecting our gaze to the God who is capable to keep His people, regardless of how big those dangers seem. So we're going to see four encouraging truths this morning about how God keeps His people. Four encouraging truths about how God keeps His people. First, I want you to see in verse 2, God keeps His people with His infinite power. God keeps His people with His infinite power. It says this, From where does my help come from? Verse 2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, when danger is imminent, when danger is close, ultimately, our help doesn't come from a gun that's in our holster. It doesn't come from a government and a specific political party being in power in government. It doesn't come from our military. Sorry, guys. And it doesn't come from doctors. No, ultimately, our help comes from the Lord. The Lord may use those things, but ultimately, uh, the, our help comes from the Lord. But notice, notice what the psalmist says. This isn't some generic God like the world tolerates. He says this. This is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in your Bible, what that is referring to behind that is the Hebrew Yahweh. That is the, that is the God of Israel. The, the, God's, the, the covenant name of the God of Israel. The God who's in covenant with His people. It's a name that is not able to be separated from His mighty acts in history. The most famous of those, of course, being His his mighty act of, of the exodus. How God took the greatest power on this earth, Pharaoh, and he brought him to his knees, showing forth his superior power through his ten plagues. Why did he do it? To show forth his glory and to redeem and keep his people. And that is the God who, who is associated with this name Yahweh, his power. But he's also the God, the psalmist says, who made heaven and earth. The one true living God. This, of course, calls our attention back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be earth creatures and sky creatures and sea creatures, and there was those things created by the word of his power. Let me just ask you, what kind of power does it take to create the heavens and the earth? What kind of power does it take to fling trillions of stars into the sky? 
What kind of power does it take to heat up the sun whose core burns at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit? What kind of power does it take to create the diversity of 8.7 million species of animals? What kind of power does it take to bring order to a universe that should be in chaos with its various systems like the solar system or ecosystems or the weather system or circulatory systems and gastrointestinal systems? I'll tell you what kind of power. Infinite power. Unlimited power. Unparalleled power. In fact, it is a power the psalmist point is, is talking about. It says, as God is capable through his power to make the heavens and earth, he is certainly capable to help you no matter how big the threat is that comes your way. You may remember that there was a huge threat that was coming to the churches that, that Peter wrote to in 1 Peter. Severe persecution was, was, was at least potentially there for them. And so Peter writes an encouraging letter to them. And the way that he encourages them is to point to God's power to keep them in spite of the persecution that's there in front of them. He writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's saying, yes, yes, the threats are there, but also know that your God is there with His power, and He has the power to keep you in spite of the threat that is in front of you. So let me just ask you this morning, Christian, what threatens you? What do you feel threatened by right now? Is it your health or the health of a loved one? God is capable to heal. Is it a, a relationship that, that maybe you're in that's, that, that, that's kind of have some conflict and there's some separation? God is able to restore it. Is it living in a country that seems to have turned its back on God and now turned its face towards maybe the beginning stages of persecuting the church? God is capable to bring another great awakening. But listen. If it isn't God's plan to heal you or someone you love, He is capable to hold you. If it isn't His plan to restore that broken relationship, He is capable to soothe your broken heart with the balm of the gospel. And if it isn't His plan to bring another great awakening, He is capable to keep you by shepherding His people even in the darkest of times and deliver them safely to the heavenly home. That is who your God is. Take courage in this unshakable fact that God will keep you by His power if you are in Christ. Second encouraging truth about how God keeps His people. Verses 3 and 4, God keeps His people with constant watchfulness. God keeps His people with constant watchfulness. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, 
He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, I know that some of us get kind of uncomfortable when we think that Big Brother is watching us. Whether it's through video cameras on our devices or maybe listening to us on Alexa. Why is that? Because we think that Big Brother is out to get us, right? You know, a lot of people think that about God, that, that I don't, I'm uncomfortable with God watching over me because I think God is out to get me. Well, to the Christian who's reconciled to God, the fact that God constantly watches over His people is a source of unending comfort. Why? Not because God is out to get us, but because God is out to keep us. I have a, my, my daughter who's 14 months old. She's gotten into this habit. In the middle of the night, she'll wake up in her crib, and it is pitch dark in her room, and she is scared, and she just starts to cry. And we have a video monitor hooked up into her room, and so what happens is Renee will grab that video monitor that has an intercom on it, and she'll say, Hattie, Hattie, it's okay. Go back to sleep. And she stops crying. She lays down, and she goes back to sleep. There is something incredibly comforting when she knows that her mother is watching over her. Likewise, when you know that, that God is watching over you, even in the darkest of times, there, that is a source of unending comfort. The psalm, psalmist says that he doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep. He doesn't doze off like your Uncle Roscoe after the Thanksgiving meal. He doesn't have a bedtime. He never gets tired. He never needs to take a break. He's always alert, always awake, always laser focused, always watching over his people. His level of care for his people is comprehensive and it is constant. Now in verse 3, we have a very important word for this psalm. It's the word keep. It occurs six times in this psalm. Whenever you see a word occurring a lot in a psalm, that, that's a good sign that this might be what the psalm is about, and indeed it is. It communicates this idea of God guarding and protecting and preserving His people. He says that He will not let your foot be moved. That's exactly what He's communicating. You see, this journey that these pilgrims were on, the terrain was rugged and slippery, and the pilgrim, his foot could easily slip, and he could fall, and he could perish, but... This is communicating the idea that God is going to keep your feet. He is not going to let your foot be moved so that you slip or perish. This idea that God guards you and protects you and preserves you. I don't want you to miss, though, what's said in verse 4. Very, very important. He says, Behold, he who keeps every person in the world. No. Behold. He who keeps America. No. It says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, God keeps his people, a specific people, an exclusive people, a set apart people, a people who are in covenant with him. Quick perusal of scripture, it shows just the reality of how clear this is. Let me just ask you some questions. Obvious answers, by the way. Did God keep Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Abraham and Lot? No. He brought judgment upon them for their wickedness. Did God keep 
every person in the world in the days of Noah. No. He brought the floodwaters of his judgment upon every person in the world, and then he kept his people by placing them in this ark. The most important question you're going to hear me ask this morning is this. Will God keep you? Will God keep you? God keeps his people. Are you numbered amongst those people? Question for you that, I, that hopefully will, will help you to figure that out. And this question is, is this. Do you think that you have lived a good enough life that when you die, you are going to go to heaven? In other words, on the day of judgment, when God examines your life, is he going to look at your life and, and, and conclude that, yep, he is worthy or she is worthy to come into my kingdom, in, into my presence, into heaven and live with me forever? If you answered yes to that question, I want to love you enough today to tell you that there is a good chance right now in this moment that you are not numbered amongst the people of God. Why? Because you've missed the gospel. The gospel is not good people go to heaven. The gospel is, is that sinners, bad people, who repent and trust in Christ go to heaven. That's what the gospel is. Whenever somebody embraces the gospel, what they're embracing is, is, is no longer is the object of their, of their trust in themselves and in their goodness. No, the object of their trust is now in Christ and in what He has accomplished, the salvation that He has won. You see, God has given us a mirror to look into so that we can see exactly what we look like. That mirror is the Ten Commandments. And whenever we look squarely into that mirror, what we see is not that we are squeaky clean and spotless. What we see is that we are filthy wrecks. What we see is, is that we are, 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 it shows us that we are liars and thieves and blasphemers and, and adulterers at heart and murderers at heart because we hate other people. It shows us that we are coveters. It shows us that we have failed to worship the one true living God in the way that he calls us to. It shows us that we are guilty on all counts. It shows us what the verdict is going to be on the day of judgment if we are still in our sins. It shows us that at any moment, the floodwaters of God's judgment could be unleashed on us, sweeping us into the hell that we deserve. It shows us that we need rescue outside of ourselves. It shows us that we need God to provide an ark to save us. And the good news is that God has provided such an ark. And his name is Jesus Christ. For God the Father sent his only son into this world to take on the floodwaters of his judgment in order to save his people. When Jesus was on that cross, he was consumed with the wrath of God for the sins of his people. We are criminals who have broken God's law, broken the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is the sinless Savior who has come to rescue His people in order to pay their debt in their place, to satisfy the fine that, that should be theirs. The Scripture tells us that He suffered and He died on the cross, and then on the third day He rose from the dead. You know what that was? That was an undeniable sign that Jesus is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. An undeniable sign that the salvation that he offers is real. An undeniable sign that, that the payment that he made on the cross was accepted by the Father. And now, reconciliation with God is offered to all who will repent. That is, turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone. 
The moment you do that, every sin that you ever have committed or ever will commit will be forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus Christ will be given to you, credited to your account as if it belonged to you, as if you had lived the perfect sinless life. On that basis, God will declare you you righteous in His sight, no longer guilty, but righteous on the basis of what Christ has accomplished for you. You will be reconciled to God. You will be brought into the family of God, becoming a child of God. You will be grafted into the people of God, the people that God keeps. Check out Romans 11. It talks about when we trust in Christ, we are like these wild olive branches that are grafted into the tree that is God's people. And indeed, these promises that are for Israel become the promises for every single person who trusts in Christ because now they are a part of Israel. We are a people who He protects, who He preserves, who He guards, who He keeps with His infinite power with his constant watchfulness. And third, encouraging truth about how God keeps his people. God keeps his people with his protective presence. With his protective presence. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked barefoot on asphalt on a really hot day. If you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it feels like the skin on the bottom of your feet is about to melt off. And one of the most discouraging things that can happen if you're in a situation like that is to look around and not see one speck of shade anywhere that you can cool off your feet and find relief. Well, sometimes the journey to glory is painful and difficult, but the big difference is is that the shade is nowhere, not nowhere to be found. The shade is close, intimately close. The psalmist says that the sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. This word strike means uh, to deal a blow that, that destroys. It means to strike down without the possibility of being able to get back up. And so the sun and the moon are, are being used as a metaphor to describe anything that comes into the lives of God's people that threatens to destroy us. Trials will come. Suffering will come. Pain will come. But nothing will destroy you if you are a part of God's people. Why? It says because the Lord is your shade on your right hand. So as the shade brings uh, relief and refreshment and protection from the heat of the sun... So God, the Lord's presence for His people brings relief and refreshment and protection from the heat of trials. Let me just ask you, is this protecting presence, is this something that's kind of like a mirage that's in the distance, that's far off and we just seem to never get there? No. It says He's your shade on your right hand. Right hand is is communicating this, this idea of this close, intimate proximity. You may remember what the Scriptures tell us right now about Jesus that Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Again, this idea of, of, this, of this close proximity, this intimate proximity. You know, it's interesting to survey the Scriptures to see how God uh, uh, um, encourages His people in the midst of dangerous and fear-inducing times. You know one of the primary ways that God encourages His people is by reminding them of His presence? Let me give you some examples of that. First... You may remember in 
and Joshua getting ready to, to lead the Israelites into the promised land. They are to go in there and they are to drive out inhabitants that are frankly, many of them larger in stature than they are, more sophisticated in war than they are. A very frightening thing if you are an Israelite. And here's what God says to Joshua. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, see, is encouraging Joshua and the Israelites by reminding them of his presence. How about New Testament? Remember when the resurrected Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he gives his disciples and by implication his church a great commission that is frankly very frightening and fearful at times to, to, to undertake? Here's what he says to his disciples and to us. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, God the Son, Jesus encouraging his people by reminding them of his presence. You see, cowardice is turned into courage when a man knows that his God is present. I'll say that again. Cowardice is turned into courage when a man knows that his God is present. One of my favorite examples of this in the scripture is from 2 Kings. Story of Elisha and his servant. You may remember that they are surrounded by, by the Syrian armies surrounded by horses and chariots, and, and apparently Elisha's servant was quaking in his boots, as we probably would be too. You remember what happens? Elisha prays. He says, oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And what happens? The Lord opens the eyes of his servant so that he can see the invisible realm, and he can see the armies of the Lord. He sees chariots and horses horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha and surrounding the mountains. Now, we're not told how he responded, but I think he would respond the same, thing, same way as you and I would. His cowardice would be turned into courage, knowing that his God was present. Christian, let me just ask you, what are you afraid of right now that you know that God wants you to face with courage? What is it? Is it uncertainty of the future? Is it losing something that you, that you love? Is it cutting ties with some, something or someone? Is it, is it an overwhelming task? Is it sharing the gospel? See, God wants to know that whatever it is, cowardice is turned into courage whenever we know that our God is present. And God wants you to know this morning and trust that if you are a part of His people, that He is present with you. He is your shade on your right hand. He will preserve and protect and keep and guard you. And He wants you to know that this morning. The fourth encouraging truth about how God keeps His people. God keeps His people both now and forevermore. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
What comfort this, this must have brought to these traveling pilgrims, that the Lord would keep them as they left their towns and their homes and their families and they made the journey to, to Jerusalem and that He would keep their coming back and everything between, that no evil would swallow them up, that He would keep their lives. And we, we as God's people, those journeying to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, we can rest on this promise as well, that no matter where you go or what you do, evil will not overtake you. Let me ask you a question, but is that true? Is that really true, that evil won't overtake you? I mean, really, haven't we all known Christians that, that have encountered various evils that seemed like the evils overtook them? I mean, you think about fatal car accidents that are, that are caused by, by drunk drivers, Christians being killed. You think about terrorists doing unthinkable things in killing Christians, beheading them and things of that nature. You think of church shootings where, where Christians are there worshiping their God and, and all of a sudden evil comes in and, and, and pulls the trigger and they're dead. How can it be true that God keeps us from all evil when it seems like these Christians were destroyed by evil? To answer that question, we need look no further than the cross. The greatest victim of evil that this world has ever known is Jesus Christ. The innocent, sinless, Son of God, creator and sustainer of all things, condemned by wicked men and hung on a cross. Unthinkable physical suffering, unimaginable spiritual suffering as he suffers under the wrath of God for the sins of his people. Jesus died. Think about the disciples. To his disciples, they must have, have thought and looked on and been like, wow, evil has overtaken him. But then something pivotal happened, didn't it? The power of God, Jesus' dead body that was in that grave, came back to life again, rose from the grave, conquering evil, conquering death, alive to never die again. And he promises the same thing for his people. He says this in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice, he doesn't promise that evil won't touch you. What He promises is that evil won't overtake you. What Jesus says in Luke 21, saying to His disciples, as well as to us, you will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for My name's sake. Stop. Being handed over, being hated, some of us being put to death. Again, he doesn't promise that evil won't touch us. He promises that evil won't overtake us. So listen to what he says next. But not a hair on your head will perish. But not a hair on your head will perish. 
All this is going to happen to you, but not a head, a hair on your head is going to perish. When it's all said and done, when you find yourself in the new heavens and the new earth, you will look at yourself and you will see that not a hair on your head is missing. You will see that everything that sin and evil attempted to snatch away from you is restored 100-fold. You will see that you will be complete. You will be full. You will be like your Savior, lacking in nothing. I think Billy Graham said it well when he, when he said this before his death, getting us to, to, to start thinking about life a little bit differently than oftentimes we live. Oftentimes we're so short-sighted and we just see life as everything that occurs on this side of the, the, the moment we take our last breath. Getting us an idea that we need to expand our understanding of what true life is. Billy Graham says this before his death, adapting this actually from one of his historical mentors. He says, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. As we close this morning, Psalm 121 is, is meant to be an encouragement for God's people. An encouragement as we travel on this road called life to the heavenly Jerusalem, that we would take courage in the midst of dangers and in the midst of threats. And so I want to leave you this morning with encouragement in the midst of threats. When you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you can't handle one more thing, He will keep you. When your heart aches because you miss someone you love so much, He will keep you. When you're blindsided by news that upsets the future that you had planned, He will keep you. When hospice is called in for you or a loved one, He will keep you. When people turn their backs on you because you're following Christ, He will keep you. Whenever you feel like your sin is too massive to forgive, He will keep you. Even if you lose everything in this world and all you have is Christ, He will keep you. He will keep you in the ark, which is Jesus Christ. And He will deliver you safely to your heavenly home where you will see your God and Savior face to face and you will dwell with Him forever and ever and ever. He will keep you. Because real security is not found in your feelings. So don't look there. Real security is not found in your circumstances. So don't, don't look there either. Real security is found in the God who keeps His people. Let's pray. We are grateful for Your Word, Lord, for Your reminders. Nothing that most of us haven't heard before, but... Oh, how often we practically forget it when we encounter difficult trials in, in this life. Lord, I pray that today, um, if there be anyone here who, is, who has felt um, just this sense of not being able to, to sense your presence or sense your, the security that they have in you, that today your word would, would allow them to, to, by faith, trusting in your word, would allow them to feel that sense of security. I ask, Lord, that if there be any here today who are not a part of your people, that, Lord, by repentance and trust in Christ, that you would graft them into 
the olive tree, your people. Lord, thank you for comforting us. Thank you for reminding us. I pray that it would move us to be more courageous in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we respond when difficulties and trials come into our lives, that we would be reminded that, that you are the God who keeps your people. And that cannot change. In Jesus' name, amen.